0: My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 49 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast, sponsored by Jason Q Therapy Sports and Injury Clinic. After four Kenyans took to the start line at Zagama, one of the most famous trail running races in the world a few weeks back, we chat with head coach and running coach Ireland, Rene Borg, about whether the East Africans are about to dominate the mountains, just like they have done on the roads. And we also chat with Jennifer Elvin, winner of five out of six races on the Imra calendar this year, and about to head off with Team Ireland to the European Championships in La Palma. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go. Hey everybody, welcome to the show and when we have Irish teams about to head off the big international championships it's a real sign that the summer racing season is here. And I hope your racing is going well guys, I hope you're enjoying your training and that everything is on track for whatever those race targets are for you over the coming weeks and months. As you heard there in the intro, we're delighted to have Jason come on as a sponsor for the months of June and July through Jason's Sports and Injury Clinic, jktherapy.ie based in Belgard Heights in Tallaght jason is a very experienced and successful mountain runner himself so with his experience on the mountains and his qualifications in neuromuscular therapy who better to help you get back to fitness if an injury does pop up in the racing season over the summertime so if you do have any little niggles guys look up jason on his social media online at jktherapy.ie if you think you might need a help with any niggle or injury that does pop up on the racing front lots of racing again on the inwell racing Canada. they are keeping their racing going week in week out nearly every wednesday every weekend there's been four races since our last podcast so i might just call it the winners of the last two where derek cramond and ali armstrong took the wins in brocca ali was actually fifth overall and great to see ali racing again as my sources tell me ali is a former Irish international cross-country runner and also ran for the juniors internationally on the mountains too so with that pedigree and some fine pedigree on the track I believe as well no, su- no surprise to see Ali doing so well in Broca in Cork at Kilworth Woods Martin Cooney and Sarah Whelan were the winners there and there was lots more exciting racing going on in Carantujal in Devils Glen as well so do check out Inver.ie to get the full update on all those races there on their fantastic results page before we call in Rene, a big thank you to all of our patreons who are with us guys and you guys play a big role in helping to grow the sport of trail running in ireland as well because you guys are here with us every month you keep us inspired to keep on producing good quality shows for you week in week out and if you're not a patreon yet if you would like to become part of our small community here we'd be very grateful if you could pop over to our trail running ireland patreon page where for three euros a month you can become part of our of our team that helps produce the the show right so time to call in renee and chat about the east africans on the mountains Rene Borg from runningcoach.ie. Rene, good to have you on board again. And we've got an interesting topic today. Yes, we do. You wanted to uh,
1: talk about Kenyans, I think.
0: I-, I did, Rene, and I'll tell you why. Because the a group of four Kenyans caused a bit of a stir in Spain about three weeks ago, where four of them rocked up to Zagama. Zagama, of course, is this famous trail mountain marathon that has been the, the stomping ground of Killian Jornet, who three or three weeks ago now, he won his 10th Zagama. And if anybody ever looks on YouTube at some of the photographs, some of the videos, you know, it's like one of these Tour de France type stages in the mountains where the crowds on the uphill slopes are two to three deep. And Zagama is exactly like this. It's 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 a wonderful, wonderful race. Some say the best mountain stroke trail running race in the world. So when four Kenyans rocked up, people were very curious to see, well, what's going to happen? Is Kenyan going to be dethroned? What are their results going to be? And in the end, Rennie, Two of them were in the top 10, a fifth and a ninth. There was one 12th and there was one DNF, which I think is actually a fairly, a fairly good reflection, maybe, of where East African runners might be in the trail running world at the moment. That if they do come, for the moment, anyway, yes, they'll have very good results, but they might knock a lot of the top. American European guys off their perch just yet and they're more than likely going to have 25% in the gamma but more than likely going to have quite a high dropout rate if all of a sudden we do see Kenyans coming to the trail running world. So I thought it'd be a great chat to have. Um, I've got a couple of points here. I know you've got a couple of good points there. So let's have an interesting chat about it. So what do you think you're, yourself, Renny? I know you love to read up about the Kenyans from a training and coaching point of view. Well, what do you think? Are the are Kenyans, are the East Africans, are they about to dominate the mountains?
1: Well, it's, it's, it brings back some great memories to have that discussion because we had it um, just very informally back in 2010 at the Snowden race. I was there with the Irish team. I was racing myself, and I think I might have been team manager that year. Um, and the year before, the, the very first Commonwealth mountain and ultra-distance running championship was held in Keswick. If some people know, it's right in the heart of the Lake District in the U.K., and there was quite the same, a similar stir that time uh, because Wilson Chimweno was a Kenyan runner um, because obviously Kenya is part of the Commonwealth, as most people will know. Uh, he really upset the apple Card uh, by first beating Jonathan Wyatt in the uphill only race and, they, who, and he was reigning world champion at the time. Um, and then he achieved the double by also winning the up and down race. And, you know, that was Ch- uh, Wilson Chimweno's first ever mountain championship. So what happened is Innovate were very quick to um, give him a big sponsorship package. I don't know the size of it or anything, but uh, he he was then brought back after quite a, a bit of visa struggles the next year to go to the Snowden International Race where we were. And all the talk in Clan Barris um, was, will he beat Kenny Stewart's longstanding record of, I think it's 62 minutes. So just try and imagine the Snowden Race is just under 10 miles, a thousand meters up and down, and Kenny Stewart ran that in 62 minutes, you know. And really, no one has gotten near that in the last few decades. You know, they've gotten within maybe three or four minutes. So they thought, we bring this, you know, amazing African who blew the gates open in 2009. We'll bring him in, and he'll do it. Um, but it turned out to be quite a depressing day for him. Um, he was, I believe, fifth at the top, fourth or fifth. It was very misty day, so he, I think he overshot The Cairn a bit Um, you know it's not easy to do in Snowden if anyone's been there because it's quite sizable and I think he had gone a few hundred meters the wrong direction before someone managed to turn him back you know and I think he ended up finishing in fifth position or something with the Brits and the Scots taking um, all of the important positions you know so that was the first kind of personal side I got of of an, an African dawn over the mountains um, and it didn't turn out so well. And, and I know you saw, there was a bit of a second dawning, I believe, with a bunch of Ugandans.
0: There was, Rennie. And what I've seen myself personally over the years at the World Mountain Running Championships, when we've been there with the Irish teams, that you do strangely see these unique teams from Uganda come along, especially more so of the men's race. Um, and when they do come, they tend to dominate. If we go back to the World Championships, the Mountain Running World Championships in 2019, First, second, and third, Ugandan. And I think then fourth, fifth, and sixth were the the more typical mountain-running countries like USA and fourth. I think Norway were fifth that year. And a runner from Team GB was sixth. And then the Italians after that. But it was very much Uganda one, two, and three. And it was the same in 2018. And in the girls' race, I think there was actually, there was a couple of Kenyans in the podium positions. So when they do come to the World Mountain-running Championships, They do actually dominate, but that must be because somebody certainly in the Ugandan Athletics Federation has spotted an opportunity and whether it's a financial one or whether it's an athletics one, I suppose we just won't know which one it is. That there's a potential world title there for their athletes, and um, now they didn't actually go funnily enough to Argentina. Actually, Andorra was 2018, and they didn't go to Argentina in 2019. I presume because of just the the travel involved. But when it's in Europe, they do tend to appear, and I, I suppose then in the more open trail running world outside of the world championships on some of the circuits like UTMB, the golden trail series, they haven't really come yet or any. And I just think for the moment anyway, it's a cultural thing because there's a culture of producing road marathon runners, road champions. Um, and uh, let's be honest, there's a much bigger financial incentive for Kenyan, Ethiopian, East African runners to do well in half marathons and road marathons in terms of appearance fees and then the prize funds as well. And like just to give, to give us an example, and I looked it up there earlier on today, the prize money for UTMB, arguably the biggest trail running race in the world, in 2021, the podium was €2,000, Euros, €1,500, and 1000 for first, second, and third. Now, if we look at our own Dublin marathon, the podium is 12,000, 7,500, and 6,000. Now, the Golden Trail World Series that does have a little bit more than the UTNB. I was looking at their prize fund. I think the overall winner does get 15,000. But then, if we look at the likes of what? Boston, Dubai, New York, their prize winning fund, just for the winners now, is north of $100,000. So you can see why coaches in the East African countries and the athletes themselves. They're not going to be getting in the queues for the trail running races all that quick when they can see the big pots of gold on the roads. And I suspect that's one of the main reasons, you know, since you saw in 2010, and up to now 2022, while you only see the, the Kenyans, the Ugandans every now and again, and they're not there consistently.
1: Yes. And I think it's, you know, I'm not an expert on kind of the Kenyan management system, you know, how they get into Europe, but I've read enough books that I can see it's not that easy to get out of Kenya. You know, they, because first of all, there's so many runners there who would be easily capable of dominating, you know, races just below the very best, but who are very much second and third tier in Kenya. Um, so they, for them, it's extremely hard to get together both the logistics, the contacts, and the money to even travel to Europe. You know that, that's a huge part for them is to just try and there's nearly kind of like a pyramid. You know, you 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 basically they first of all they look at it as a career, as we know, rather than you know in the West where we still kind of cling to our um, that sport is for gentlemen. You know, so it starts from a pursuit of some personal satisfaction, you could say. And then if you do happen to have a great gift, as a few have, um, you might decide that it will be your lifestyle, you know, and you'll be professional, or semi-professional. But in the West, the financial incentive is very poor because obviously you have the African competition, but also it, generally in the West, you can, you can, you know, the money you can make on a race will not fundamentally change your life uh, forever. You still have to set yourself up, you know, with some kind of, Career, business, employment afterwards, and so, and and while you are a professional, as anyone who's read about Western professionals, you're basically slumming it. You know, you're very much living a minimalist uh, kind of surfer lifestyle. If you're lucky, I'm always nervous whether you will be kicked off uh, the team you're on. You know, the sponsorship team you're on because you don't make the cut, too many injuries, things like that. Whereas the Kenyans see it um, as a golden ticket, and some of them are willing to basically leave um, their families if they show any bit of running talent, which many of them do, you know, first of all, because they have the right environment, as we know, it's, you know, the perfect environment for human biology is the Rift Valley. And that's where we came from. So the first box is ticked. They've got altitude. That's the second box that's ticked. They've got a tough physical lifestyle where people have to learn to endure hardship and pain and hard work and not living on excess food and water and everything else to value simplicity and so all of that is in place by the time the ones who show a bit of talent decide I think my best way to create a better life for my family my village myself is to go to Eton or one of these other places join a running group show enough promise through my hard work and single-minded dedication that I will be allowed to stay there um, they then form into these nearly monastic camps, and you've probably read a lot about them as well, Owen. And a lot of Western athletes will pay good money often to go to them, you know, and replicate this very Spartan lifestyle. Yeah. Um, where if they are good enough, and if they can keep just enough money coming in through race fees or you know generous sponsorships, that they can pick up because someone from the West, you know, some agent, some manager, some coach sees. I believe that guy, you know, he, he might make it. He might earn some money for me and my agency. And in return, of course, he will get a lot of race fees as well. That's what they're hoping for. So you can imagine in a pyramid like that, with so much talent, with such a, so few who can rise to the top. If you can make it through that selection process, and then you can get one of the few tickets to a race in Europe, you are going to be a very good, competitive, strong athlete that's going to be very very hard to beat also because in the race you know that if that guy on your right hand side maybe from ireland or from the us if he passes you in the last few hundred meters that might be no meal check for the next few months that might be the end of the dream imagine running with that sort of incentive incentive um, absolutely
0: and which race are you going to choose are you going to choose the two-hour road marathon or maybe the 24 hour trail race (laughs) where the two hour road marathon could have 10 times the prize fund. And just, you know, as we're talking about the the training infrastructures in East Africa, Kenya, in this case, for example, um, like they've been developed over the last 30 years or so for 60 minute half marathon performances and as close as possible to two hours on the road. Now, those type of infrastructures and training sessions and coaches that they have, are very, very different to preparing for a UTMB or any of the ultra trail running races that are out there. I mean, what are the typical long runs for the Kenyans? Two, two and a half hours max at a push, maybe they might go out the tree, where to prepare for these big um, UTMB style races, you're going to be running through the night, Renny. I don't know about you, but any of the books that I read about the East Africans, none of them are running through the night preparing for races. And um, they're going to have to work on nutrition, taking on hydration, taking on food gels, which is a massive cultural shift from where they are now. So, if yeah, if we are going to see Africans coming to the trail running world, and um, You know, that could take years and years to put that infrastructure and cultural change in place.
1: Yeah, I think both the Kenyans and the Ethiopians would, if the incentive was right, they would probably adapt quite quickly. Um, because they they obviously have altitude, they have access to vertical, you know, and they do use it, but not in in a trail specific way yet. As you mentioned there, uh, they they run mostly off road, you know, and they believe strongly that that's a good thing. You know, so that's great for our readers to hear. And um, although it's it's generally for the Kenyans, it's these red uh, dirt paths, you know, which is just kind of like soft roads. Whereas Ethiopians, interestingly, um, they run quite a significant amount of their training um, on fairly rough trail. Um, and if the are extremely uh, agile um, because of the type of training they do. So you would imagine that if the incentive was right and one or two coaches came down there and said, look, we're going to create, let's say, a UCMB target, a training group, and we're going to start to restructure your training, they would very quickly have be able to take those skills and transfer them. But that's kind of a big if. And what it would actually mirror on is if you – I remember reading years ago this book about Bekele, you know, one of the first Africans to take the stage when he won the Rome Marathon in Bare Feet. I think it was in 1960. Mm -hmm. And his history is fascinating and tragic, so anyone should really read it. But um, they got inspired and coached and trained by a coach who came from Finland. And if you remember on Finland, along with New Zealand, obviously in Australia earlier, they were real powerhouses of athletics back then. And most of the knowledge of how to do things, they resided in those countries at the time. So it took that knowledge transfer, like they had to get this coach with a specific know-how down and spend time on the ground, changing the mindset and the habits and the routines of these runners. So, you know, if there is a trail running coach out there who's looking to, you know, repatriate to Africa, um, and maybe it's not me, by the way, (laughs) that there might be a project. Um, but I, I would say the, the main thing is to that if there was money on the line that was sufficient and if the logistics could be sorted. So, let's say the Golden Trail Series, if they could help these athletes sort out the visa process, because that's a huge impediment, they could create kind of a regular funnel. But I imagine a lot of Western trail race organizers, and I could be totally wrong on this, are looking at that and saying, is that really what we want? Because one of the things that's attractive. I, I believe in trail racing is that we still have very a lot of surprise element about what nationality is going to win each race. There's no one country that dominates, no one nationality, and, and I think that's very refreshing because it means, as a neutral or as a, someone who maybe favours a particular country, you can watch the race and you can say, well, I hope one of my guys is going to win it. Um, whereas if the Africans suddenly are brought in almost, um, we might lose that. You know, as, and if I was a trail running organizer, that would be a difficult choice, I think. Do I want more sporting excellence by bringing in these African athletes, but at the risk of maybe losing a bit of the interest of the home market? I don't know what you think, Owen, because, you know, you observe a lot of these races firsthand.
0: Yeah, well, I would take it from the from the brand's point of view, Renee, And I think the brands are speaking with their checkbooks at the moment with the East Africans, as in they're not signing checks to bring teams over for the trail running worlds. I think the brands are embracing their American athletes, their European athletes. Um, Salomon have dipped their toe ever so slightly in the in bringing african athletes over they did a small video documentary on a guy called ben Kiptai, who came second in the Transgland canardia marathon and not the big Transgland canardia the 126k one just the marathon he came second in that and i know that with the four kenyans we were talking about at the top of the show um, salomon sponsored their gear and their runners but nothing else where they could have easily have paid for their flights and put them up in hotels, but they didn't. If you look at the likes of Hoka, who are investing so much in the trail running world at the moment, the new sponsors of UTMB, um, they have a great big book of athletes as well, but they're not taking any Africans at the moment. So in terms of race organizers, brands, I think they're happy with the status quo as is, and they don't necessarily want, you know, six or seven Kenyans, six or seven, and um, Ethiopians all in the same strip like we see on the track coming in the top five positions and people maybe not being able to connect like they are connecting with a lot of the European runners at the moment. Um, and maybe there's one, one final observation for me, René Annelé, is that if you look at the physical attributes of some of the top, say, European runners, the likes of Pau Capel, Pablo Villa, who won the Transgran Canaria Canardia and won the TDS and UTMB, they're all small, small short, stocky guys very different to the tall, lanky Kenyans with their very thin leg muscles. So you would wonder as well, with that type of muscular structure of the Kenyans, I know the Ethiopians traditionally are a bit smaller and stronger, but the tall Kenyans, how they can handle descending on tricky descents for four or five hours over the course of an ultra, um, as opposed to the strong, bulky Spaniards, French, who are so successful at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Uh, they're obviously quite you know, strong and elastic, um, but that doesn't mean that it would necessarily transfer to the cyber strength we've seen in the very long trail races. I'd say it'd be less of a problem in the shorter ones. Um, you also wonder, because Kenya, obviously, when it was first colonized, um, by the british and they introduced athletics to the kind of the local tribesmen running was not the first pick they were actually very very good at quite a lot of other you know feats of athleticism throwing as you can imagine uh, enough because i want to reinforce cultural stereotypes but you know the maasai warriors obviously uh, they had great use for throwing regularly right because the spear was the haunting weapon of choice and um, so you, they, they were quite multifaceted. So you, I you do we only see one type of Kenyan, you know, and, and certain tribes dominate uh in the running, but there's many, many tribes there. So maybe they have um different types of athletes, you know, that's kind of a that are an untapped resource for them. Um but yeah, I would tend to agree, and I think we see it as well with the the way the Caucasian runners and the non-African runners have managed to kind of edge their way back in the 800 meters and the 1500 meters the last decade you know Ingebrig, since obviously we're all looking at them but it's been so many like matt centrovitz um the the guy um, nick willis you know from new zealand they have been able to beat the africans over that distance and generally as you, as you know i think going from your own experience uh to be a good middle distance runner you need to be slightly bigger and more powerful mm-hmm. and you can be very successful now, obviously, they had the very, very best, like Kip Cater and what was, uh, uh, his name escapes me now, who ran the 141-11. Uh, what was his name?
0: Uh, Rudisha.
1: Uh, Rudisha, yeah. Yeah, so they, we know, but he's also quite large and powerful. Right, I was Kenyan. going to say
0: that to you, I mean, he, would be, he wouldn't be your atypical Kenyan. He's got big, broad shoulders, big,
1: strong legs, hence why he's an 800-meter winner. And he's actually Maasai. He is not Kalenjin. So that's ah, okay. There you that go. That might be. That's an interesting thing. So yeah, I think that could. You know, if we want to use the word, protect our uh, very selfish interests here in Europe and America in terms of keeping ourselves successful. Um, but the main protection probably is that it would take quite a long time, I think, for trail running to reach the amount of fees that are necessary. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot we can learn, and we didn't get into it today. But you know, I, th- I think we were discussing it before this call. Really, most of the things we've talked about on all of the various podcasts. Part of the reasons the Kenyans are so successful is that the lifestyle they have, and the incentives they have, and the environment they have allow them to do all those best practices to nearly perfection daily. Uh, and that's the secret. You know, it's not one secret. It's the fact they can put all these things together. And, you know, and and just really, if you live like an athlete, and you can live like an athlete, you'll perform like an athlete. I think that is as simple as that.
0: Yeah, well, we might maybe leave some of those tips for our next chat. Renée, it would be nice to explore the, the zen-like existence of the Kenyans and hence why they all probably run so well because they don't have nine to five jobs and a couple of kids to look after. Wouldn't that be nice to be to be living like a Kenyan? Actually, listen, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for any African results in, in the big trail running races over the summertime. I don't think we'll see many, Renee in La Palma in the European Championships in about, what, three weeks' time now, unless they've been nationalized by some of the countries out there that have a bit of a history of doing things like that, but I don't think we'll see any Africans in La in two weeks' time. And so, we'll be talking before that. If not, we might even maybe record an episode um around the start line, finish line area of the European Championships. So, the two of us are going to be working in. Yeah, Western that
1: would, I think, I Dubai. think we should. I think we should do that, Owen. Sorry to cut across today. Yeah, I think we should do That's a great idea. If we can find the time uh, doing a little bit of a live show with the whole atmosphere and hopefully we'll have some good Irish results to talk about as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and if our voices are still functional, I suppose that's the, we better do it early in the championship. We, we better get in training, Renny. But
0: <laughs> 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 well, it's really Thanks to Neil for that. i sure we'll talk to you. If not before that, Palmer we'll be seeing each other there. And as you said, we might do a live broadcast from there. That would be super. All
1: right, see you later, old.
0: For our special guest slot this week, we're about to chat with a runner who has lit up the mountains this year. Jennifer Elvin has five wins to her name already and she's only what, halfway through 2022. She's about to represent Ireland in the European Championships and she has won races in the Haute Winter League. She won in Les Fernandes, she won in Mullamin. She was second in the Wicklow Way half. She won the trials for the European Championships and she also won the Haute Summer League as well. Now this looks like Jennifer's first year Racing on the mountains, as she doesn't have any results on IMRA for before 2022. So, I for one am very interested to hear Jennifer's story. Jennifer, a real pleasure to have you on the show. And I'm sure you're looking forward to um, a very interesting two weeks ahead now as you begin to wind down for, I believe, your first championship cap with Ireland you had a great result there a couple of weeks ago with the team over in France and now you're about to get ready to go to La Palma in Spain.
2: Yeah hello and um, yeah it's really exciting and um, looking forward to the big event in La Palma and I think all the work is kind of done now so the next two weeks should be pretty straightforward and just get to the start line feeling fit and strong and healthy.
0: Brilliant. Well, it, it looks like you're in great shape. You had a great run, as we said, there in France, in the trail, the Gare Le Don, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. First uh, Irish lady home. But before we we, we talk about your, your current incredible form, Jennifer, in 2022, where you, you've racked up, I think, five race wins out of six on the mountains so far this year and um, you're actually a very experienced runner and you've been having great results on the roads for the last 10 years so maybe before we talk about your, your conquest of the mountains in, in 2022 maybe for those of you uh, those of us that don't know you as well um, could you tell us about your, 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 your athletics career to, to date outside of the mountains maybe?
2: Yeah so I guess I don't really think of myself as having an athletic career because I feel like I've just dotted around between different things but um, I didn't run as a juvenile at all. I started running when I was about 26 and I just because I I moved to London and I thought that gyms were (laughs) really expensive so I decided to join a running club there and kind of find myself in a group training for marathons and after about three months of training with this group and I wasn't signed up to a marathon I thought maybe maybe I should sign up to a marathon and do one and then that sort of kicked off the first the first of many years of marathon running and then I think about six years into that I got started to get a little bit fed up of the solo training and all the long running so I joined a club that, that concentrated a bit more on sort of middle distance stuff and I was living in Paris at that time and um, so that was that was really good that was I guess my first introduction to proper training, proper coaching, and training with a group and in a group environment, and I, I progressed a lot. It yeah. Then, but it was during the pandemic, so didn't really get to race much in that. And okay. then, uh, and back you've back had a couple
0: Eric. of you've had a couple of great marathon results. And um, from what I could see online, Jennifer, you've gone under three hours, the magical three-hour mark. I think is yeah. it four times. You went yeah. The
2: yeah four times so I, I've done eight marathons and every every time they pB but they got wow. <laughs> no, they got, they got yeah but they got harder and harder to pB <laughs> so the, yeah it, it was strange like the even though I felt like I'd worked harder and trained better and trained smarter you know I came out with maybe like a 40 second PB or something at the over the last couple so definitely got harder as they went yeah. on.
0: And what was that range, Jennifer? What was your first marathon? At? I mean, uh, what's your PB at now?
2: Yeah, my first was three twelve, and my my best was two fifty three.
0: Two fifty three, okay, yeah. very good. Uh, and I said, you know, to get extra seconds and even minutes when you're at that top end, it, it just gets harder and harder, doesn't it? You're uh, you're, yeah. you're trying to look at new training strategies, and I, I remember. Talking to Gary Cross and I think one race a, a couple of years ago now and he was talking about how he tried so many different marathon approaches and it just got to the stage where he, just, he, he was running just 220, 220, 221, 222, yeah. 220 all the time and he just found it hard to, to make a big push through after that so maybe maybe if you go back to the roads after um this this uh, holiday in the mountains you never know
2: yeah I kind kind of wish somebody had said just like take a few years out go back and do shorter distance stuff and then come back to the marathons later um but but I was enjoying it and I got a lot of had a lot of fun from doing it so
0: yeah um, I don't regret Uh,
2: it but it was hard
0: (laughs) yeah and what would you say your your favorite marathon was or maybe favorite marathon and then favorite race over that 10-year road running um, yeah, period
2: i i did london marathon i think it was three times and i i loved london marathon um i think partly because a lot of my non-running friends were there to to support and my parents were across and it's just such a such a brilliant atmosphere and I think the year that I ran two fifty nine, like I knew I knew I was going to do it. So I I knew from like well, at sort of at twenty mile mark, I knew that it was on. And I was going to do two fifty nine. So that was a really nice feeling to finish it yeah. strong and and under control and comfortable. Um. So I think yeah, I think that's that's really really hard to beat in terms of
0: the marathons. Yeah, and maybe outside of the marathons, is there any? race that stands out i think you've got down to 36 minutes and 10k yeah that was 20 and a half
2: yeah the 36 and 10k was a big one for me because that was a distance that i always kind of struggled with i was always marathon training when i did those sort of races and finally i kind of felt like i'd had a little bit of a breakthrough but I, i had been training um on the shorter stuff for about a year before that and we a group of us went just at the end of 2020 to madrid so everywhere was locked down, but we managed to get to Madrid and do this New, yeah. new Year's Eve race. And yeah. yeah, that that was really, that was really good. That was really memorable, partly because it was 2020 and also because it was, uh, it was, it did feel like a bit of a breakthrough on the shorter stuff.
0: Yeah. And um, b- before we maybe get to the joy of running in the mountains this year, Jennifer, what, what is it or what was it that, that you loved about training for the marathons and, that you know drive to keep on getting better and better where, where did the drive come from or is it just a love of competition and and trying to get better and better
2: yeah I, th- I think there's definitely like you get hooked after your first marathon you either I think you either get hooked on it or you say never again and I definitely was hooked and I, I actually I loved the training process so you know I always got to the start of a marathon race and no matter what way the marathon went I, I i'd love the process i'd love the training for it mm-hmm. Um. so i think and i think that's you need to because it, it takes a huge amount out of your out of your life out of your day to, to marathon training at that sort of level so mm-hmm. um yeah i don't and it was a competition with yourself it didn't really matter what was going on around you and what other people were, were running it was it was just about competing with yourself
0: yeah. Well, well, and then tell us then after enjoying the Marathons and enjoying some great races on the roads. Um, I remember I, I saw you I think grab a third place in the, the famous Clonliffe Harriers two mile road oh, race yes. as well. But there's a lovely photograph of you online yeah. getting third place there. So lots of great memories on the roads and lots of great results. But then this year in 2022, all of a sudden there, there's a new kid on the block. <laughs> Who's winning races left, right, and centre? Um, and one I, I I didn't really know you, and I remember just in one of the recent episodes I was talking about Barry Barry McAvoy's winning streak, and then someone said to me, "Oh well, you know Jennifer's after doing the same as well in the ladies' races." I said, "Oh, who's Jennifer?" And then I kind of looked you up, and I saw all these. Yeah, clicked on your name on Dimmer website, and saw five wins out of six, yeah. an incredible set of results. Um, so maybe to take it step by step, what was it that brought you into the, into the mountains for
2: 2022? Yeah. So I, so I, I've never lived in Ireland in my adult life. You know, I went away to university, I worked away. And then last year I decided to leave my job and I came back to Ireland last summer and I've gone back to do a master's in Dublin. So I'm, I'm living in Dublin and I've, I've really, I've, you know it's really accessible to get to the Emra races, and I always I always liked doing trail trail races. I did maybe one every year for a few years. I had planned to do a lot more in in France last summer and the summer before, but COVID changed changed those plans.
1: Mm. So
2: just being accessible to the Emra races in Dublin gave me the sort of kick to to go and try them. And I did the Hoth Winter race in January, I think it was, and. It was just fantastic. Like I've never, I've never experienced races where people are just so friendly, and the atmosphere is is just excellent. And you know the camaraderie that's there is uh, oh, it's just just amazing. So mm-hmm. they really they got their claws in, and <laughs> I kind of just kept going back and doing more and more races. And then I find out about some of the trials races that were happening. So I thought, well, we might as well give them a go. Yeah. yeah. So 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 far, yes, it's all worked out really well and i'm pretty pretty happy with the decision to 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 move across and do some more of the mountain races this year
0: sure have you found um you've had to change your training approach over the last six months to to be able to race on the mountains and i'm sure you had this incredible strong aerobic base from your marathon training the speed is there as well and i think as we know on the mountains all the top runners have very good speed as well so you had those two things did you find the the technical aspects of mountain running higher than way?
2: yeah like I, I i've tried to keep the speed in as much as i can and um, the technical like i like i'm an okay descender but i'm definitely not the best of, of descender like i'm a much better uphill runner um, so I, so the, I am practicing that a bit bit more, I suppose. Um, uh, I do kind of change my, my long runs are no longer just on most weeks. They're not generally just flat, slow runs. Like I'll try and do them in the mountains or in the hills and try and sort of do some more technical terrain just so that I can get more, um, comfortable with it. Uh, but that's, that's really the big change. And then I've, I, I don't have a running coach, so I've kind of just, figured it out for myself and that's been quite good to be flexible about it um, yeah. but I do have a strength and conditioning coach so he's added in quite a lot of stuff that probably helps a bit more with the uphill stuff particularly um, and some more stabilization stuff for 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 downhill as well so yeah it, you know, there's there's wee, wee adaptations but not nothing too major that's changed really
0: Yeah. And what would a typical training week look like for you, Jennifer? Maybe not this week and next week because you're beginning to taper down Mm -hmm. for the European Championships. But say if we go back maybe two or three weeks ago when you're, yeah, when you're really in kind of the training block to get ready for La Palma. And what would a seven day period look like for you?
2: Yeah, so that this year I've, I've been quite lucky that I've, I've jumped into a few different groups for some of their either their track sessions or grass sessions. I go up to Clonliffe Harriers sometimes and then at the University Athletics Club have a have a session as well that sometimes I would do. So typically I do maybe like one track session, one grass session a week, like grass sort of reps and then a longer run at the weekends and my easy days are really easy <laughs> I do quite a lot of double days maybe a morning and an evening run but it's all really really low heart rate yeah I'm, I'm sure people look at my Strava and think why is she running so slow but yeah it, it seems it to kind of work for me so
0: and when you say really low, what, what's really low for you, Jennifer? Like, like what's your zone one pipe zone for those easy runs? Um,
2: so those, like those easy runs, I'm running sort of between 125 and 130. And I'm trying to keep it under 130.
0: Yeah. Um, well, it, it's But It's great to hear because I think it's such a common mistake, isn't it, that, so many people end up running, you know, three or four or five times a week yeah. up in their middle zone three up in the 150s and in the 160s. And and it's very hard to have the self-control and the patience. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it's OK I, to be in 120s and low 130s.
2: Yeah, I think looking back, like that's that was my downfall for the marathon training. Um, and I didn't know at the time like I, I was doing, you know, every every run was was too quick, really. Well, even if it was an easy run um wow. and yeah. I, I, and that caught up with me after after a few years that caught up with me for sure
0: yeah and then say those uh track sessions on the flat i think this is very interesting that you're still doing those flat yeah. speed sessions even though you know you're racing along in the mountains yeah. are they 200s 400s 1ks or uh, what's, it's a bit of a, bit of a bit mix of like it, it just depends on the week and
2: i don't because i'm I'm kind of jumping into sessions with other people quite a lot of time. I kind of just go with what they're doing and, and, you know, I'm not running track sessions at the speed I was running maybe a year or two ago. And if I try to compare them, I get really disappointed because, but, but then I was training for track, you know, I was training with a middle distance group, so I can't be expecting to run those sorts of times. Um, but yeah, there's a really real mix between sort of 800s, 1k, not not that often i'm doing 200s or or really short stuff but maybe now coming up to a race i would do some sharper stuff
0: sure and then is there a specific mountain hill session that you would do maybe at the weekends
2: um no not really i kind of have certain routes that i try to do and over the last sort of six weeks or so i've tried to do a few routes that are kind of replicating what I'm going to do in La Palma. So get sort of longer sustained uphill and downhill and uh, try to try to just get used to that sort of sustained effort. So yeah. that's, uh, that's kind of what I've been doing over the last maybe six weeks or so.
0: Yeah, okay. well, what was uh, you, you mentioned La Palma? And, uh, talk to us about how you how you feel going over to to represent Ireland. And um, you had your first experience, and it was a very successful first experience in, in the trail, the Galadonia, in the in the, in the um, Celtic International, the Celtic International. And yeah. um, the team got the gold medal. Yourself and Sophie Daly and Sarah Brady. And um, it was a great performance from you. It's, it's going to be harder over in La Palma. Oh, oh no. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah. well, what, what are your maybe expectations and thoughts about the, the european championships
2: uh like i'm really i'm really excited to go um I think more than anything i'm I'm, a, I'm really interested to see you know where I stack up against some really good competition because I've, I've not i've not ran against any of these girls before um so you know in terms of expectation of placings or something i I have no idea at all but I want to go and ha- and give it a good give it my best effort and you know run smart and be competitive and if I can feel like I finish and have been competitive and 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 run it well then then I'll be pretty happy but I just have no idea placings or where I should be in amongst it or not you know yeah
0: um, okay and um, who, who else is on the 18k team which is Jennifer do you know yeah
2: so <laughs> I think, it, I think it's Roisin Howley, Edel um, Monaghan, and then I think Sarah McCormick as well is doing. Okay, that,
0: well, yeah, that you're, you're in, So it's, you're I think we have good a
2: good home.
0: team. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, strong team. Very, yeah. very good, strong team. And um, well, listen, we, we wish you all the very best in, in La Palma. And I suppose maybe post La Palma, Jennifer, what, what are your thoughts in the future? I know that that's a big race that you have to do first, and I'm sure you're not thinking much beyond that, but can you see yourself? staying on the hills and the mountains for a couple of years especially if you're winning everything <laughs> 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 or, or would you like to go back to the marathon and maybe go for a sub 250 and you know yeah, it, I, run, run some championship races with, with finn valley I, I know you're you're a proud member of finn valley i'm sure too
2: yeah i i don't really know what i'll end up doing i think um i have to kind of be realistic about what my lifestyle can be you, I'm, I'll finish the masters now in September, and then I'll be looking for a job and moving somewhere. So I don't know where I'll end up, and if it's somewhere that allows me to run in the mountains, then yeah, for sure that will be that will be number one choice. But if it's somewhere that doesn't really make that very accessible, then then I'll, I'll be going back to the roads and doing the mountains the odd time, but maybe concentrating yeah. on the roads. But I have, I think I have to kind of be practical about what actually. I can do depending on where I end up living and working.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I know it it was very similar to what happened to me. As listeners know, I live over in Las Palmas in Grand Canaria. And as you'll see yourself in two weeks' time, the Canary Islands, um, it's a real hub of trail and mountain running. So when I first moved over here, before I was a track runner, very much a road runner, And then just when I moved over here, I had trails all around me, really. And I was able to concentrate on the mountains for for a number of years, you know. Um, So it it does depend where you are and at what stage of your life you are, whether you're on the roads and the mountains. Um, Well, what type of work do you do, Jennifer? What are you doing your master's in, in case anybody's listening and they want to give one of Ireland's (laughs) best runners a job in a month or two?
2: Yeah, so I'm doing something that's, I guess, very topical. So I'm doing a master's in energy science at Trinity. So I. I came from a background of working in the energy industry as a mechanical engineer. So now it's more into the, the science side of things and looking at particularly renewable energies. So hopefully there will be job opportunities. There should be. I just, uh, I guess I need to decide what sort of area I want to go into uh, within it. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes.
0: Brilliant well well, listen Jennifer thanks a million for talking to us today Um, good luck to yourself and all the team in two weeks time and maybe just one final question if I can ask you Jennifer you've had great success on the mountains and you've touched on a couple of the the reasons maybe why and for for listeners that are listening in who who would love to move up the rankings in their mountain races that they're doing in their emma races is there any standout tip that you would give to people that if you had to know maybe five or six years ago about running in general, what you could pass on to them?
2: Yeah. I I think it's, there's a lot to be said for like running your easy days really easy, but then for your hard sessions, really, really work hard in your hard sessions. I think there's, there is a lot to be said for that sort of 80, 20 rule. Um, and also as a female, I think the strength and conditioning, it makes a huge difference like i i feel so much better having done about a year of really good uh, snc work
0: yeah and uh, um, for, for that type of work do, do you think generally do you need to be in a gym with a qualified snc coach for that or are there the type of exercises you can do at home with body weight with tables and chairs with whatever you might yeah. have at home
2: yes yeah, so, so for me i have an snc coach and and I love it. You know, I go into the gym and I know what I need to do and I feel really confident about doing it. So, and it but, but I guess that comes with the cost and there is the sort of affordability side of that. But I think if you can do it, then you get an SNC coach, do it properly, get somebody that really is interested in, in running and will give you a good program that, you know, well, you can feedback on and be really communicative with because it, it, does make a huge difference you know and in, in terms of performance is one thing but injury prevention is and consistency is just worth so much yeah
0: absolutely okay listen great tips Jennifer and it's a real pleasure to talk to you today and uh myself and Renny will be over in that Palma, cheering you on for, right. at the start line and the finish line in two weeks time
2: great we'll see you there
0: Thank okay you. thanks a bit Jennifer take care There we have it for this week guys, a big thank you to Rene and Jennifer for joining us. What a competitor Jennifer is, and I'm sure she will go very, very well in La Palma. Thanks again to Jason Kyo for sponsoring the show this month, and do give Jason a shout if you have any niggles or injury worries, and especially if you are close at all to the M50, as Jason's clinic is located in Bellegarde. Very, very handy to get to. Everybody, enjoy your training over the next while. Train smart. Everyone, get your running gear on. Let's go!